All right then. Well, hey there, all you soccer football footy fans. Guess what? You've arrived at Stories from the Pitch right here on the home for all the best sports conversations you are ever going to find. Well, it's Elevation 5280 Sports, Stories from the Pitch. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is episode number 68. Absolute pleasure to be here with you talking soccer, football, footy, whatever you want to call that game. Played out over 120 yards. That's right. 20 yards bigger than a football field because we use that end zone space. We actually like use it and it's fun. All right. Kicking things off in our Colorado kickoff for this week. Well, Rapids Nudes. It, it got a little somber about eight days ago with the announcement that uh, midfielder Brian Galvin would be out for long term following surgery on his right knee to report, repair a torn ACL and damage to his medial and lateral meniscus. This was announced by the club back on Tuesday the 8th. I couldn't get this one in in time. That's just going to happen sometimes. A <laughs> um, couple of things. Galvan. 21 years old, native of Argentina. He will begin his rehabilitation in Colorado, and the process is expected to take nine months. With that timeline, Galvan could return for Colorado by November. However, the MLS Cup 2022 is scheduled for November 5th, so we'd be cutting things pretty close if he wanted to go ahead and try to pull that off. Colorado EVP, General Manager Patrick Smith saying this injury is a real blow for the club and Brian, who is coming off a strong 2021 and a fantastic start to preseason this year. While we're devastated for Brian, we're pleased to hear the procedure went well. Given his determination, we expect Brian to make a full recovery as he continues on his path to being a key part of the club's future. I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty familiar with ACL. I tore mine when I was 17. I then proceeded to have a pair of arthroscopic surgeries for the meniscus damage that would follow. And unfortunately, it's just one of those things where you begin a kind of slow degradation of the knee joint itself. Um, There is a degree of wear and tear that you can try and account for through things like uh, muscle development, strength and conditioning and rehabilitation exercises that build up the um, significant muscles right around that joint. Now, this can be done to great effect for those who've had a partial tear and are trying to keep the knee strong enough to continue playing without dealing with uh, complications of surgery. I wasn't so lucky. I heard my ACL pop like, well, everyone at the time on the field thought I had kicked a plastic sprinkler because we just played on a <laughs> on a, uh, a middle school soccer field that was nearby in my town. The field that we would like to play was either our game field or the football team's practice field. So considering how often we lost out on, you know, that sort of who's going to get the field question, Um, (laughs) We learned to get comfortable on a field that was really quite terrible. It was a middle school field. It was barely grass, poorly maintained, potholes, lots of ways to get injured. Guys rolled their ankles on that thing all the time. I mean, it was almost like a proving ground. If you could practice on there without getting injured, you could survive most other soccer fields and environments. So in one way, it was good for toughing you up. 
toughening you up. But at the second time, um, you were going to get an additional amount of wear and tear. That was just par for the course. My situation was interesting in that I didn't know my arches had fallen, so my feet had gone flatter, which was then putting strain on my ankle joints, followed by my knee joint. And then on top of it, I was trying to train even more than I normally had in the attempt to get myself ready for junior and senior year, uh, maybe trying to make a last ditch push for some sort of, who knows, soccer scholarship, you know, young kids and dreams. But I do remember that from that point on, I was sort of an anomaly. In fact, it wasn't until later that I heard that a football player that I knew had also torn his ACL and then received surgery. And when I heard about the route he took, I was able to contact him, follow up with the doctor he had, and get the surgery completed. I was worried because as these things go, I had a doctor that uh, I was seeing as my general practitioner and he had not had successful surgeries on at least one person I went to school with. I didn't know them, they were way too popular, but I knew of them and I knew of the problems they were having and I was terrified that I would get surgery only to have my joint as bad, if not worse, than what I was originally starting out with. I have to keep that in context for me because it reminds me of the fear and confusion and the frustration of the injury. But I'm also reminded that there's a blessing in the amount of time that has passed. I mean, that was 1994. Technology has really improved. Um, the way we handle injuries, the way we understand sports medicine, the methods we use to repair an ACL tear is so much more advanced than we used to. I mean, I've been no stranger and not quiet about telling you guys that back in June I had full knee replacement. And that was the end result of having my ACL reconstructed, my two meniscus surgeries done at some point. Well, I just ran out of cartilage. And even though my replacement ACL had done a decent job um, over the past 20 years, it had gotten a little looser. The, the friction then between um, the ligament not staying as tight as it was, as well as the meniscus slowly disintegrating. By the time I went in at the age of 44 for an x-ray, I was at stage four arthritis. That, that was completely gone. My knee was now tilting inward. I was looking at long-term health complications. Man, so it's, it's a wonder how it is that Brian is going to, one, recover from his ACL meniscus surgeries. And it's one of those things where the, the simple math of probabilities means that there can be occasions where even with a highly trained physician, um, there can be a problem with a procedure, whether it's on the, the part of the physician, the part on the body accepting the treatment, the ability of the body to... Uh, well, respond to the treatment in a positive way and the development that it can occur because while you're rehabbing, that joint is still gonna be weaker. There are still going to be complications that can occur from the parts of that joint that haven't been exercised or rehabilitated. So it's, it's one of those things where when handled correctly, the player can come back just as strong, if not stronger. I mean, one of the funny things is when you're rehabbing, you spend a lot of time developing muscles that you don't normally, and that once you learn to, 
you start looking at the good knee. Like, well, I wonder if these guys could, you know, use some help here. <laughs> so I, uh, I always have a mixed review when I hear a story like this. It reminds me of the fact that uh, injuries are going to happen, that players sort of play for as long as they can, uh, putting their bodies to extreme duress in the hopes that when it's all said and done, they come out of it um, still able to walk. That doesn't mean that's always how it's going to go. There will be injuries. They are a, a part and parcel. I happen to know that there's at least one English Premier League player who's had numerous surgeries, numerous injuries. And it was once spoken by one of the um, commentators watching the game and reporting on his insights who said, look, this guy has made many public statements that he knows when he is done, this... Uh, this will change the way his body is for the rest of his life. He anticipates being crippled, being unable to walk after his career has come to a close. He anticipates not being able to move the way normal people can to have the quality of life that he might enjoy if he didn't play so hard. But he's not going to slow it down. He's already sort of started this path. And, and that's an interesting thing I keep in mind, too, is that at some point, there's a degree of acceptance. You know, injuries are going to happen. Injuries, once they have happened, usually only have so many courses they can run. They can be the end of a career. You simply stop, hang it all up, let it all go. Or you choose a path forward. Some people try and tough it out without a surgery. I was young and confident that my body was strong enough to survive. So I played for a number of months without a ligament. And then one day in a game, in a particularly muddy winter game, I took a step, felt the mud slide, pivoted, and felt my leg in the knee joint going two directions. Like, and I could hear the crunching and the grinding and all I thought to myself, I am so sick and tired of this pain. And that was enough for me. That was it. I was done. I was home later icing and resting, saw my dad. Parents came home from somewhere and I said, I'm done. I'm getting surgery. I can't do this anymore. Um, or you opt for the surgery right away. You know technology is on your side. You know that the sooner you can get the repair done, the sooner the body can heal. And you can avoid some of the complications I had, which was learning to play with an injury changes the way you play. It limits a lot of your strengths and takes away a lot of your advantages. And it, it can actually create another set of undue stress on the joint because it's weakened and you're trying to ask the same of it as you did when it was healthy. It's going to suffer for that. You're going to suffer for that. And there can be uh, ongoing complications that can exist because of that. So I'm always reminded of those things when I think about sports and injuries and Eh, given everything that's been going on lately, all the different sports, lots of injuries, this seemed like a good moment to just take a minute and reflect, hoping for the best for Brian Galvan. And that maybe he does get back in time for that uh, 2022 Cup. Hey, it's break time. We'll be right back after these quick messages. Hey, am 
Michael Spillin here for the Flash Hauler Driving App, a convenient app for on-demand furniture, moving, vehicle towing, and courier service. If you like being out on the road, not having people breathing down your neck, pressuring you to get stuff done by deadlines and time limits, join our fleet on the Flash Hauler Driving App. Earn money by driving your pickup or van, be your own boss, making your own schedule, not to mention the feeling of helping truckless people getting their furniture moved to wherever they need. If vehicle towing is more in your arena, we provide that service as well. And if you don't have a truck or a van, no worries. The app enables you to do courier gigs. It's an easy process to sign up and get approved to be part of the Flash Hauler Hero team. Be proud of what you do while you do it at your convenience. So what are you waiting for? Grab your phone, download and install the Flash Hauler, that's F-L-A-S-H-O-L-R driver app, or visit our website, H-O-L-R-apps.com, getting it hauled in a flash. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by the Flash Hauler Driver app, helping people move in a flash. everybody thanks for coming back around after those ads keeping you up on all the best you should know about elevation 5280 sports stories from the pitch i'm your host seth singleton episode number 68 keeping things moving along so we had our colorado kickoff i was talking about brian galvan player who's been with the rapids since 2020 joining them from club atletico cologne players made 24 appearances 14 starts and scored two goals with three assists, he'll be recovering from ACL surgery with the hopes of making it back in time for November. But that's not the only Rapids news we have in store for you. See, last Friday, the uh, Rapids continued their uh, preseason play. They've had a few matchups recently, teams like Kansas City, Seattle Sounders. And on Friday, they went ahead and squared up with Orlando City SC. It was the final preseason friendly ahead of their upcoming CONCACAF Champions League play, and it ended in a 1-1 draw. That's actually been a theme during the preseason, but plus side, 1-1 draw is better than a 0-0 draw. At least you got a goal. But then, of course, you let it go. So maybe it's not. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Tell me what you think, why it matters, if it does, if it doesn't. The game played at Exploria Stadium. Um, It's interesting that this is their final preseason tune-up before Scotia CONCACAF Champions League competition starting up this week. More on that in just a bit. Rapids head coach Robin Frazier was pleased with the day, saying, quote, it was a really good challenge for us because we played different types of teams throughout preseason, but this was a good one for us because they do things that we really had to adjust and adapt to. So I feel like it was a really good learning step for our last game before the season. I like that approach. I think you can always anticipate that a team is going to look one way on film, but in preparation for playing against your team, they might very well, very often, change up their strategy so to best counter your strengths or employ their strengths against some of your weaknesses, however that may play out. It's always nice to see what happens when a team tests you and you have the opportunity to respond and recover 
especially when it's something that maybe you weren't expecting. Let's see. A little bit more about the story. Orlando Open scoring early. Robin Jansen taking a, uh, a really nice cross from Ruan. And in the process, firing that one in the third minute, driving it home, only to have Diego Rubio equalize for the Rapids right at halftime. It was a uh, weighted cross from Keegan Rosenberry that uh, Rubio was able to drive home, even up the score at half, and then continue play into a scoreless second. A few recent Colorado additions like Brian Acosta and Max Alves made their debut in the draw, and it was an opportunity for Frazier to see how the new guys fit in and, and what their uh, chemistry was like. Frazier saying Brian did well. He's a really strong physical presence. He closes down very quickly, and he's good and simple with the ball, which also helped keep our attack going. And Max is a clever player. He's young, but he's incredibly attentive. In the few days that we've had him, he's been like a sponge, just in terms of learning what we want to do. That's uh, an important thing to develop because next up ahead, well, things get really intense for the Rapids. They've enjoyed some great preseason games and competitions to test their skills. But at the same time, um, it's all been in preparation for the upcoming uh, CONCACAF competition. That includes the Rapids traveling to Guatemala City to take on Comunicaciones FC for the first leg of the SCCL round of 16. That's going to be on February 17th. And as I look at my watch and then at the calendar, I realize today is the 16th. That's right. I'm recording it the morning of, which means tomorrow the team will face off against Comunicaciones. The kickoff is set for 5 p.m. Mountain Time, and the match will be available on Fox Sports for USA English and TUDN for USA Spanish. A couple of interesting things to keep in mind for uh, Colorado. Their starting 11 included goalkeeper William Yarbrough, the steady standard in between the posts, Lucas Estevez, Austin Trusty, Danny Wilson, Lala Sabu Bakar, Keegan Rosenberry, Colin Warner, Jack Price, Jonathan Lewis, Michael Barrios, and Diego Rubio. Substitutes included Clint Irwin, Abe Rodriguez, Drew Moore, Stephen Betashore, Michael Edwards, Seb Anderson, Brian Acosta, Oliver Laraz, Mark Anthony Kay, Max Alves, and Yaya Torre. Now, that's pretty good stuff when you keep in mind that, well, when it comes to the squad, <laughs> they've got a lot going on. I mean, really, quite a lot going on. It's quite interesting. It's going to be a challenge, I think, to see uh, how everything is going to shape out. And I think for a lot of people, for even a lot of the players, there's a lot of questions about you know, how this is going to shake out for the Rapids, what's their recovery time going to be like, how are they uh, preparing for the upcoming competition, which then brought me to a really interesting story that points out that there's a, uh, man, there's going to be a lot going on for uh, a lot of U.S. players. So, 
taking a look at a uh, ESPN breakdown, looking at the Rapids versus uh, Communicaciones, um, the first leg is going to be on February 17th, the second leg on February 23rd. The Rapids qualified for the uh, CONCACAF event by winning the 2021 regular season MLS Western Conference. Communications qualified with the uh, 2021 CONCACAF League champions. And it's been said that there are legitimate concerns about whether the Rapids could recreate the same magic that made them the MLS Western Conference winners in the 2021 regular season. A couple of things that have changed since that season run. Cole Bassett, now on loan with Feyenoord. U.S. men's national team midfielder, Kellen Acosta, has now gone off to LAFC. And up top, uh, it's said that there is still um, a need for reinforcement in the striker position. Curious what you think about that. I feel that there are some great offensive presences available through the Rapids, but I'm wondering about this idea of whether or not a dedicated soccer player, uh, striker, can make that difference, if that's something that's really as crucial as this story suggests. However, Jack Price and Arsenal signee Austin Trusty, the Rapids' core of the hardworking team from last season remains, but some crucial questions linger. And unlike the other CCL Central American sides, there are fewer questions for Communicaciones. The Guatemalans, who are often referred to as giants, should not be taken lightly as regular invitees to the CCL. And last February, Communicaciones narrowly lost to Liga MX's most successful team, Club America, in penalties in the round of 16. Communications qualified by winning CONCACAF League, having the tournament's top two goal scorers in Juan Anagono and Andres Lescano. So that keeps things uh, <laughs> worth um, paying attention to. I'm curious to hear, like, you know, are you going to be watching the game? It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. You know, I, I get how everybody's lives are. Some people got to work. Some people got to live. It's not going to be an easy one for me to catch, but I think if I do a little scheduling um, juggling, then I might just have a chance to uh, see <laughs> if I can get a chance to watch the game live. I'm hoping I can. If you are, let me know what you're doing. Watch party, something along those lines. Or, hey, did this one sneak up on you? Because we've kind of been talking about it, but kind of feel like, you know, there's this degree of, well, the MLS season came to a close. Now there's, you know, the USMNT and other things like that. And while those are all going on, because the Rapids won their Western Conference, that qualified them for this CONCACAF tournament. And it's going to be interesting to see how things match up, how well they do, what the, uh, the results are going to be. I mean, I think the Rapids are going to have an opportunity to find out just what they really got in their recent trades. I mean, losing Bassett, um, losing another player to LAFC, and then looking at what your makeup is after you've gone ahead and made a few signings, brought in some young talent, maybe had the chance to assess them a little bit during that preseason matchup against Orlando, and then understanding that in the end, you have to put out what you feel is your best 
your best forward-facing team, and then as the game goes on, do your best to monitor how well that team is succeeding and what your options are that can help either nullify one of their strengths, uh, strengthen one of your weaknesses, or take an advantage of a scenario in which the right combination of a speedy player, someone who enjoys taking some long passes down the line, across the field, can be the difference in a high pressure defense situation or when they're really marking heavy man to man. How then can you read that, put in the players that can uh, answer those questions, and then in the process, find yourself with a strategy that gives you a fighting chance? That's part of the beauty of the game, and one of the reasons why coaches do the coaching and I get to watch and maybe complain. I don't know, are you one of those people, armchair quarterback, armchair official? Hey, we got to take another quick break. Can't wait to hear your answers and catch up with you in a bit. More soccer stories coming your way right after this. NFL Analysis Network is your one-stop source for coverage of all 32 teams. We provide in-depth analysis, news, and opinions about all things football. Since you're online anyway, check out NFLanalysis.net. Elevation 5280 Sports exclusive new teammate on the gridiron. There's nothing better than sitting in your local barber shop talking sports with everyone. We understood the, the, the sacrifices that we were making. We understood the condition and the, and the landscape that we were going into along with the bubble. And Sorry, not with LeBron James. Join Daryl Lane with special guest host Kenny Sem from 24-7 Sports on Barbershop Sports Talk. Every Monday evening at 8 Mountain, it'll be like you're back in the chair getting a fresh cut. One of these teams, Kenny, is going to be out of the playoffs. We are going to have, Kenny, a 10-win team not in the playoffs. When I tell you that, how crazy is that to you? That we could have a team with 10 wins not make the playoffs? Yeah, yeah it's really it's really crazy. It's really sad for a team that's going to have 10 wins and going to be on the outside looking in. You know, the uh, NFL went about and having an additional team this year qualified for the playoffs at seven teams per conference. It's supposed to be easier to make the playoffs. And this year it looks like it's, it's harder to make the playoffs, especially in the AFC. I mean, realistically, you know, looking at the schedule, be talking about a team being left with 11 wins next week. 11. Once again, catch Barbershop Sports Talk every Monday evening at 8. Only on Elevation5280sports.com. Careful, Careful. it's tough to breathe up here. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by the NFL Analysis Network, your one-stop source for all 32 teams. All right, and hey, and welcome back. More stories from the pitch coming your way. So, as I mentioned, there was uh, a bit of a analysis made regarding the upcoming Rapids match against Comunicaciones. It's going to be tomorrow. But there was also one that I found from uh, Isaiah J. Downing and uh, Justin Moran looking at the U.S. Men's National Team Weekly Youth Update, Transfer Roundups. Taking a look at the past two weeks, Mostly because Moran points out that he was on vacation. Um, but there's some big developments. And players 2001 and younger are eligible for the 2024 Paris Olympics, the under-23 team. 2003 and younger eligible for the 2022 CONCACAF Championships, 2023 
under 20 World Cup and 2006 and younger eligible for the 2023 under 17 World Cup. It's interesting that he goes through and provides some rating to sort of give a context for everything, uh, pointing out that uh, 2001 midfielder Sebastian Berhalter, that's right, Greg Berhalter's son, has moved from the Columbus crew to the Vancouver Whitecaps. He has 24 MLS games with the crew, and according to the rating system that Moran has developed, um, a one means nowhere near ready. Ten, absolutely call him up and start him. Let's get into it. Uh, <laughs> and we get right to it. So when it comes to uh, Sebastian Burhalter, his suggestion is currently a rating of one. Um, great potential, great ideas, but not quite ready for the big move. Wow, little dude's really snoring right now. Apparently, he's just got the dream cycle going, and we're just going to have to adjust to that. Thanks for your patience. Um, you got Jose Gallegos making his uh, Sanjerski. Wow, I don't even know if I said that correctly. Um, <laughs> debut after making a permanent move from San Antonio FC about two weeks ago. His rating coming in at three. Austin Trustees move to Arsenal. Yes, that Arsenal. Trustee who was born in 98, never been a top-rated American center back, not even from the MLS. Considered to be a shocking move, one in which Moran gives him a rating of three. Also pointing out Ethan Wadey, 2002 goalkeeper, has been loaned to Hendon FC from Chelsea's under-23s. Hendon are below the sixth tier in English football, such a... Uh, it's the fourth such loan for Wadey, who has also spent time with Dartford, Stevenage, and Tooting and Mitchum. Presumably, Wadey is not first choice with his age group, so the Blues wanted to get some game time. He's currently coming in with a rating of one. Crystal Palace signing a couple of under-23 U.S. eligible players, loaning them to Belgium's second tier. That's Sebastian Joffrey, a Bolivian-American striker, born in 99, and Rian Jamai, a 2001 forward attacking mid, joining up with 98 American midfielder Jacob Montes at RW Molenbeek. They're getting a rating of one. Then we've also got Zach Booth who uh, is the younger brother of Bayern's Taylor Booth. He's a 2004 center mid. And in the Leicester setup, he scored the winner for the under-18s at the weekend, but he struggled with some injuries, is highly rated, and currently coming in with a one rating. While in France, Eric Palmer-Brown has made his loan movement permanent, signing with ESTAC Troyes in League One from Manchester City. EPB has started five straight games for... Troyes in League One performed well, especially on the ball, but made a mistake that led to a goal and a 5-1 loss to Brest. Uh, Troyes are part of the City football group, so he's still part of the City system, but it's good to see him finding a permanent landing spot. He's coming in with a rating of 8, while Jalen Hawkins, German-American winger, has been loaned to third-tier Saarbrücken from Ingolstadt in the two Bundesliga. Hawkins has been with the U.S. under-20s. He comes in with a rating of one. North Carolina FC goalkeeper Nick Holiday, who trained with Bayer Leverkusen earlier this month, is uh, just 16 years old and has been in both under-17 camps so far this year for the new cycle. He's coming in with a one. We've 
also got the the announcement that Justin Che's new manager gave an update on the player after he moved to Hoffenheim. Che starting at right back and went 90 minutes with Hoffenheim's reserves in the fourth tier on Sunday. He's currently coming in with a rating 5 and will be a big part of the under-20 cycle. While Anthony Fontana, who left the Philadelphia Union, um, hasn't found a landing spot. Rumors were that he would sign with Serie B side Ascoli, but as of yet, we're still waiting to see what's going to, you know, come out of that. For Netherlands, Richie Ledesma has a new manager at PSV Eindhoven. He's a 2000 class attacking mid-slotted right back who uh, is part of PSV's first team on his initial return from injury, but after a couple of brief appearances off the bench, he stayed on the bench, and he's returned to Zhang PSV, where he is now playing and has a rating of six. Cole Bassett, local Rapids player, coming in, seems to be adjusting well in Netherlands. Notched his first goal with Feyenoord's under-21s after transitioning from the Rapids. Currently, Bassett comes in with a rating of four, that's a pretty nice little number, something definitely to build on. Um, in Scotland, Emmanuel Johnson signed with the Hibs in Scotland, and he's moved from the Barca Residency Academy in Arizona. He will be loaned back to Charleston Battery in the USL. He's holding on to a rating one. While by comparison, Emmanuel Johnson uh, was signed by Hyperion to a multi-year senior contract these were uh, numbers reported to The Athletic. He's a Californian who spent time in the, in the Sacramento Republic and Barca Academies. And uh, at 18, can play anywhere along the right flank and will join a USL club on loan in 2022. How about Spain? Well, there we've got Rayo Valenco, or sorry, Vallecano. Wow, sometimes I just really butcher the names. Um, He's a U.S. eligible youngster. Not much is known about the man they call Christian Maldonado, but at 20 years old, he will most likely start on the right side. And uh, then we've got an interesting U.S. dual national who's in Spain. We're talking about Rodrigo Neri, even while that train roars in the distance. Neri is unlikely to be involved with U.S. youth national programs, despite a scoring record with Atletico Madrid's under-18 side. Um, This, according to Moran, highlights a need for USSF to reinstate camps for under-16, under-18, under-19 age groups as quickly as possible. And then, of course, there was the uh, sort of breakdown for the upcoming Colorado Rapids versus Comunicaciones. Um, as they point out, you know, you've got some young players coming in, there's the hopes, but then there's also the fact that as I was mentioning, no Cole Bassett, no Kellen Acosta, and then you've got the, uh, the team up of Jack Price and recent Arsenal signee Austin Trusty that could make the big difference. But I think everyone's still trying to sort that one out. I think for the most part, there's the feeling that these are early assessments, early ratings, things to develop and build on. And just because they are in the state they are now doesn't mean that they aren't 
prone to all sorts of possibility. I mean, for every player who's not getting as much playing time, has some bench time, it only takes one injury. It only takes a player having a bad game or getting a red card or some other complication. And suddenly, you're in there. Now, if you've been training, if you've been preparing, it could be your shot. It could be the one that makes the biggest difference. Or it could just be the first of many. You know, you'll, you'll note that for a number of players who came in with that rating one, um, it was really clear that the teams are hoping that by providing the player with more experience and engagement, they'll have a chance to see from day to day how good they really are in game scenarios, how well they respond to pressure and other situations. But more importantly, it's sort of like anyone who does something. If you keep them inactive and only call them out on certain occasions, it's really hard for them to have any sort of rhythm flow. I mean, you can do your best to accomplish that in practice and with training, but there is the game environment, which makes the biggest difference. That's why so often when they're talking about how fit a player is, when they talk about game fit, they're talking about their ability to go out there, play in the flow of the game, and be healthy and competitive for up to 90 minutes if possible, or as many minutes as possible that they can play. That takes being in a game to develop game fitness. You can train as much as you want, but there is nothing to equal a game scenario, which means if you want to see how well someone's doing, you have to get them in a couple of games. You have to give them a chance to enjoy that rhythm, experience it, and in the process, see what they can do when faced with adversity, when part of a different combination, when brought in to accomplish a specific goal using their talents or skills, and how well they can do that on assignment each and every time. I mean, one of the great things is that you're going to be called in, you're going to be asked to work the line, you're going to be asked to do man-to-man coverage, you're going to be asked to float in a zone and let players have a run so that you can pick up the other player while another teammate uh, has the strategy of coming across to shut that player down. Lots of things are going to be part of the focus and I think... This is just sort of a beginning place for us to look at a lot of these players. Curious to see how their ratings will change with just a few weeks or months of play. We'll see what news we have to bring back to you. I have to take another break. We'll be right back after this. anything during the week from our live shows maybe a hot take or hilarious exchange a groundbreaking opinion or money-making prediction the bll is i'm pretty sure gonna eliminate the mll very shortly if not this season probably next season work on getting another receiver right now yeah another offensive lineman joker was totally out the picture because when he's out there he's like a sack of potatoes no worries we've got you covered Head on over to Elevation5280sports.com and click on the Shows tab. Or to Mixcloud and search Elevation5280 Sports and all of our podcasts are right there at your fingertip. For those listeners who didn't feel that, we just had another one, baby. Elevation5280sports.com. Careful, it's tough to breathe up here. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by Wix.com. Creating a website has never been easier. 
right. We're back with our final segment. And this is a story I I am still tr- struggling to get my head around. I'm sure if you've been following English Premier Soccer, international soccer news, soccer news just in general, if you like animals, this is probably a story that has gotten to you, reached you. It's one you've heard about. I'm, of course, talking about West Ham United's uh, Kurt Zuma, who was seen slapping, chasing, throwing shoes at a cat, and it was all videotaped, unfortunately. It all started back last Tuesday. I was waiting for more developments. I didn't want to just rush on air with this one. And it started with uh, the fact that police have opened inquiries into a video that shows Kurt Zuma kicking and slapping a cat. It's point of a joint investigation with the RSPCA, which has described the footage as very upsetting. Uh, Zuma has apologized after the disturbing video surfaced online, with West Ham also condemning the footage and vowing to deal with the matter internally. In the video, Zuma is seen dropping, kicking, and slapping the cat while laughter can be heard in the background. The 27-year-old player chases the animal before throwing a pair of shoes at it, slapping its head. Um, I saw the video. It's, it's not good stuff. You know, one of the first is he carries the cat into the kitchen, drops him towards the ground, and then sort of does like a drop kick. So as the cat's going to the ground, he kicks the cat across the floor. Um... Someone picking up the cat towards him and him smacking the cat down. Looks like either an open-handed slap or some kind of a strike. Um, According to Essex Police, inquiries are underway after we received an allegation earlier today in relation to an animal being abused in an address in North Surrey. Allegations were received after a video emerged. We are currently liaising with the RSPCA with a view to carry out a joint investigation. Spokesperson for the RSPCA saying, This is a very upsetting video. It's never acceptable to kick, hit, or slap an animal for punishment or otherwise. We are so grateful to people who report suspected animal suffering to us, and we would like to reassure people we will always look into and, if necessary, investigate any complaints made to us about animal welfare. West Ham Soccer Club has condemned Zuma's actions to the Sun, a strongly worded statement after the clip had been published. Uh, West Ham going on to say, quote, West Ham United unreservedly condemns the actions of our player, Kurt Zuma, in a video that is circulated. We've spoken to Kurt and we'll be dealing with the matter internally. We would like to make it clear that we in no way condone cruelty towards animals. Zuma told the son, I want to apologize for my actions. There are no excuses for my behavior, which I sincerely regret. I also want to say how deeply sorry I am to anyone who was upset by the video. I would like to assure everyone that our two cats are perfectly fine and healthy. They are loved and cherished by our entire family. This behavior was an isolated incident that will not happen again. Interestingly, the video was filmed by Zuma's brother, Yoan Zuma, who plays for Dagenham and Redbridge. Yoan uh, Zuma went on to say that he uh, deeply regrets his involvement. Um, Pointing out, not only for my actions, but for the upset and distress this has caused so many people. I am now taking time to reflect on what I have done, but wish to assure everyone this was an isolated incident and not something that I am proud of. The National League Club condemned the incident, said they were taking it very seriously. Um, The story continues simply with the, the understanding 
that this has caused a great deal of consternation and concern. It It's surprising in that for many people, this was not something that was expected, and it's led to a series of complications that have since followed. For starter, Kurt Zuma, who was named in West Ham starting 11 for a clash away to Leicester, pulled from the team after feeling unwell during warm-up, and while he's currently under investigation, um, even West Ham's manager, David Moyes, has said he will rightly receive hostile receptions at stadiums. This story coming out on the 13th, West Ham confirmed that uh, Zuma was replaced in the side by Issa Diop with Darren Randolph added to substitutes. Um, this had come after West Ham's David Moyes played Zuma in Tuesday's home win against Watford, which had been just 24 hours after the cap video had surfaced. There have been a lot of widespread condemnation on social media and other platforms, and it continued after Zuma was named in the starting 11 for the trip to Leicester City. Um, the complications continue, and there now seems to be pushback from... Uh, Fans, West Ham United fans, saying Kurt Zuma chant and kicked an inflatable cat. They say that they are backing Zuma by chanting his name and kicking the inflatable animal. Um, apparently, some fans of the club have backed the club and played ahead of the game, and they were doing so in song. One example came from a pub where they were singing, cheering, and shouting. One reply said that West Ham fans are a disgusting breed, just not right it is. He hopes that he goes to jail. A third said, it's hardly a song. It's a brain dead, well, bad words, dead happy with themselves. Um, an American Tottenham Hotspur fan, up early on Sunday to watch his side fall to the Wolves, said this is more embarrassing than Spurs' first half this morning, and that's saying something. Despite general condemnation in football and the fact that Zuma and West have lost sponsors in the past week, West Ham fans have started to support the defender. Not to condone his actions, but to show support in the face of the hypocrisy shown by media outlets. I'm intrigued by uh, sort of two levels of confrontation. I mean, I think it's always going to get interesting when someone gets in trouble, and at some point, people feel that the amount of trouble someone has gotten into is uh, unequal to whatever crime they've committed, whatever bad thing they've done. Now, West Ham is still trying to, uh, you know, play a season. Right now, they're battling to finish inside the top four in the Premier League. They're already in the box seat ahead of playing Leicester. Zuma was scheduled to play in the game, but then he pulled out. You know, I, I think there's a lot to be considered about how people have come to view athletes, their importance, their responsibilities, you know, the, the attempts by some celebrities to say, oh, I'm not a role model, you shouldn't look up to me, I'm an athlete, I get paid money, and this, that, and the other, which is an understandable position. I mean, some people choose to simply be a professional athlete. They have no desire 
to be any sort of a role model or an example. They figured out how to get there. They may be tough as nails and they're not trying to give anyone any insights on how they pulled it off. But as enjoyable that might be for tough as steel, hard-nosed people, players, and fans, that doesn't mean that times haven't changed, especially in the viewpoints of fans, teams, and sponsors. Uh, as it was pointed out, West Ham has already lost sponsors. I'm, I'm sure they're going to lose more. This is something that has occurred uh, in a number of other sports where the actions in the private life of a player, once they are made public, are judged by the public. And that choice can leave a player and a team that might not have ever wanted to get involved with things like that, forced to deal with it, simply because the backlash can be so severe that it causes more damage to the team than if you know that player allowed a number of goals and contributed to a loss. I mean, the social stigma that can come with players and their actions off the field, and then, of course, how those actions are judged by the larger community, the internet, and so many others. And there can be a pushback to the idea of outcry. There is often the question of how much is too much in response to an action. Um, and the responses can in many ways feel like uh, boys will be boys sort of a response like, well, it's an isolated incident. These things never happen. We shouldn't really even be talking about it. Someone's private life. But if that private life includes things where through the team, there are public appearances, there are events, there are partnerships. I mean, you can't partner with an animal rights, animal health and safety organization and then have one of your players commit one of these acts. The organization can't be involved with that. It sullies their name. The team can't have that player and the conflict of their actions and the association with a animal rights organization that's going to create conflict for the two parties. So the more things get intertwined, the more circumstances from one person's actions can play into the consequences for not only teammates, the rest of the team, teams that play against them. I mean, there's also an expectation that teams that are going to face off against West Ham will get questions about Zuma, about his actions, about animals, about how the team feels about it, about how it will change the energy. I mean, imagine if you're playing against a team now that has a player who has like 10 cats and he loves them all and cherishes them more than most people do their children. That player's probably going to have something to say about Zuma's actions. There's probably going to be a chance that they have a comment and it's going to stay part of the conversation until enough time has passed and potentially if... Uh, recriminations are made so hey with that i don't know what your thoughts are i'm not a big fan of animal cruelty i don't believe in harming animals i think they are childlike in most ways and i'm also reminded of the way i felt michael vick here in the united states never recovered from the scandal of uh dog fighting dog training and um inhumane methods of dog breeding it, it stuck with him, and I think it sullied his name and his career. We'll see if Zuma ends up in the same place. 
I'm out of time, folks. This has been Stories from the Pitch, episode number 68. Been a pleasure hanging out with you here on Elevation 5280 Sports. Can't wait to join you next week. And, uh, hey, do me a favor. Let me know what you think about that Rapids game tomorrow. Communications, 5 p.m. Mountain Time. Hope I get to catch it. More importantly, I hope I get to hear about it from you. Bye now. on your computer and on your smartphhone check out elevation 5280sports.com for all the information you need download the apps put in the link and you're good to go on the go elevation 5280sports.com careful it's tough to breathe up here.